0: Hey, I'm Chip Bennett, and I am the pastor of Grace Community Church. Go ahead, Michael. Yeah,
1: my name is Michael Jones. I run uh, the uh, Inspiring Philosophy Ministries. We have a YouTube channel where we build animated, graphic, documentary-style videos uh, defending the Christian faith from all sorts of different areas. Mm -hmm. So we have a documentary series on the Exodus defending uh, Genesis. We go through Genesis 1-11. We have a series on the resurrection, New Testament reliability, arguments for God's existence, and then we do small TikTok-style videos as well on TikTok.
2: That's great. Yeah, my name is John McCrae. I run the YouTube channel called What Do You Meme, M-E-M-E. Um, and in that, I, I basically just do a lot of talking about culture, what's going on in culture, and then I try to tie that in with the gospel message or show how Christianity can make sense of things that are going on in your personal life and in the world. So.
3: Yeah, so I'm Braxton Hunter. I'm the president of Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary, but I run Trinity Radio on YouTube. And uh, there at youtube.com slash Braxton Hunter, you'll find... Apologetic, every imaginable apologetic issue, but primarily what we try to do is uh, react to internet atheism. Uh, mm. Find videos where people have um, explained why they're not a Christian anymore, or whatever, and then react to those, respond, so that when people go out there they can see both sides of this on YouTube. Um, first question that came
0: in, what are the advantages and disadvantages of liturgical and non-liturgical services? That's not what you are expecting from an It's not. I, 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 yeah, um, I sure. can speak to it. I'm sure yeah, any of yeah. us could speak sure. to it. Yeah.
3: I would speak to it and say, I grew up in a context that didn't have a lot of liturgical type stuff. It doesn't have the smells and bells and all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And the reason given was that, um, that, well, we want to take that money and put it towards missions and going overseas mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, but I have to say that when I've been in liturgical services, that there is something from the argument from beauty about it like you see this beautiful work of human creation and art and it echoes the 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 image of God in man that we have that creativity because we are made by a creator and when I've been there and as a thoughtful Christian who's looking at this thinking how how should this affect me how would I get you know what does this say about who God is is it necessary is it can we still have it you know I've found some value in those kind of churches that that I don't really have in my non-liturgical type church. Would
0: it be fair to say that, I don't think any of us would say that there's only one way that you have to do church. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think God can be found in many different environments, but I don't know that there's necessarily an advantage. I think it's more of a, I think it's more of how you reach people. Some people are reached more in in certain ways or not. Um, I don't know that there's any advantage of doing a contemporary service to a liturgical service do you, I mean what do you think is that
1: I, th- I think there's different types of services or different types of people right. and what's gonna work for one group it's not gonna work for another group mm-hmm. uh, there with I think the reason is God can work in multiple ways as he knows that some people really need the liturgical services and sometimes churches uh, can work and function fine without him and reach a lot of people that way. Don't you, don't you find, though, that typically if you're on
0: one side or the other, you think your side's the right side yeah, yeah, and the yeah, other yeah. side, yeah. when I think what we need to do is to yeah. maybe have a little bit more common ground sure, and realize yeah, that yeah. it's okay to have a little bit different. Right. So I think that would that would answer that question. Hopefully that answers the question that you were looking for. Um, here's one. Can one share the gospel without using the law? I, I'm assuming the law they mean, the Torah, or because that's... They, 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 I don't know exactly what they mean, but I'm
1: guessing that's what they mean. Um, can you share the gospel without using the law?
3: Michael, what do you think? Well,
1: I, I think you absolutely can, because the, as Paul says in Romans, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe him in your heart, you, you will be saved. That in itself is the gospel message without having to go into the history of the law and how it relates to Jesus, how Christ fulfilled the law, how he is the perfect high priest now that has uh, taken up that on his shoulder mm-hmm. for us so i think you can but i think if you're going to go deeper into christianity you need to start studying more about the implications of the law especially in relation to the new covenant Mm -hmm. why it's important so it's like you don't need to share the gospel you don't need to use the law to share the gospel (coughs) but when you start going deeper you're
2: going to have to go into things like that they're
1: important okay
2: yeah i would say um you can i i think about like how paul did in romans like one one and two basically Mm -hmm. like you have different um positions that people are in and then whatever they kind of consider to be their kind of standard of the moral law for them or whatever you can actually show them according to those standards you don't meet it you know what i mean so for <laughs> the for the people who held to the old testament laws you say okay you you've broken the these old testament rules people who's like okay well um don't lie don't cheat or something you know what i mean you can still use those to show them why that they don't meet those standards and because we can't live up to even our own standards we need the gospel we need the sacrifice of christ to cover our sins but i do um i want to be clear on this when we're talking about the law Um, when you responded, you're referring to the actual um, Levitical, or not the Levitical law, but the- Law of Moses. Yeah, Law of Moses, right. And so um, uh, we do wanna say there is bad news, right? You have to get to the bad news and say, you need a savior because you have violated the law of God in whatever kind of way, you know? So that way um, people don't mistake you for saying that you don't need to know that you're a sinner or something like that. So I just wanna clarify for you.
3: Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And the only thing that I would add to that is to say that like when we're talking about um, what is necessary for someone to be saved. You know, there were people that were getting saved before the New Testament was completed or compiled. There were people getting saved before they understood everything as Gentiles about Jewish uh, tradition and history. The law and uh, a lot of stuff about Jewish culture and the Old Testament, obviously, are all going to be very important, I think, in bringing out the whys and the how it all works of our faith. But in terms of what it is necessary for someone to become a Christian, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think so. Okay,
0: good. Um, next question, is Elihu in the book of Job good or bad?
1: Well, I think one of the points of the, book of, the of book of Job is that they're all bad in some way. They're all getting something wrong. Only God is the hero of the book of Job. Mm. So in some way, you know, Elihu, just like the friends of Job, they're getting stuff wrong. And we need to keep that in mind that they're not supposed to be looked at as role models. The only one we're supposed to look to is the good guy in Job is God. That's a good answer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, does Matthias
0: replacing Judas as one of the twelve disciples prove or give evidence to apostolic succession?
3: You know, this is a bigger question. But honestly, the fact that they did replace someone there because Judas was gone, I don't know that you can then build off of that um, something because of, of this issue. You know. Um, it's one of those things where you have to kind of look at it and and read in read read uh, the surrounding text to make a decision about what you think this means. I just don't think that we have enough to say that. Yeah, there's even some people that believe that they jumped the gun with Matthias
0: mm-hmm. and the one that was really going to ultimately take place was Paul. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, you have a lot of <clears throat> there's just a lot of internal. I I would agree. I don't, I think that I think you probably have to have a presupposition that you're reading into the text mm-hmm. that sort of wants to confirm maybe an a priori position. Right. Um, I'm not sure that the text is actually teaching that. Yeah. Like I don't even know if that's even even what they're doing.
3: There. And, and for people that want to follow that further, one thing to keep in mind is, and this is a simple point for someone in your systematic theology class, but when we talk about an apostle, um, you're going to find people <coughs> referred to as apostles in the New Testament. That doesn't mean we're talking sure. about the apostles. Right, there's like a capital A apostles, a lowercase a. I, you know, lots of people are apostles in that lowercase. In a sense. Right. Yeah. Any thoughts, Raymond? No, I think it was okay. All said, yeah. okay.
0: Um, what, you the, that, folks? <laughs> remember, keep any question you have. I mean, if you're out there, you're a believer, you have a question about the Bible, maybe something you know that you feel like you just would like a better answer for. Um, if you're agnostic and you have some questions about God, His existence. If you're atheist, if you just whatever, please ask your ask your questions. Um, next one: Why do you think deconstruction has been such a huge trend in the last decade?
1: Well, for one thing, I think uh, <clears throat> sociologists have noted that as c- culture, is co- society gets more comfortable, people feel like they need religion less. So it mm-hmm. sort of comes out of their life. Left. This is just human nature. If societies are going through some hardship, religion just naturally increases. So right now, society is doing well. It's doing better than it has probably for all of human history. I think we're living in the best possible time ever. People are going to move away from religious religion just naturally. We need to remind them that that's not what it's about it's not about comfort it's about actually finding truth that's the most main important thing Mm -hmm. also i think when trends start uh people just sort of fall in line and want to do the same thing it just sort of happens some people deconstructed that were famous well now other people want to do it Mm -hmm. it's just part of the trends of being human nature and i think as we as christians we need to stand uh, outside of the crowd say we profess christ regardless
2: of what the evidence is or what makes us feel comfortable because we think that's true I would say that I think it's um, consistent with what we see kind of going on in culture today um, there's um uh, according to like some of the more recent data um, with Barna and stuff like that they've, they show there's a lot of people's worldviews um, is what they would call something like syncretism and basically what it is is people are taking from a lot of different religions they're not instead saying okay I want to be a Christian so I'm gonna take all of the christian views or i want to be an atheist i'm going to take in all of the atheist views instead they're taking little parts from different worldviews and kind of creating their own thing what works for them or what they find beneficial and so deconstruction is consistent with that narrative because it's breaking away from that sort of um idea of you have to hold all of these different views if you're going to be a christian or all of these different views if you're going to be whatever religion and so i think that it's really kind of consistent with that so I don't think we're actually seeing an increase in deconstruction per se I just think that since societies shape different now and things are moving from the ground up rather than the top down then I think it makes more sense I don't quite know how to put what I think about this I think that
3: we're I think that deconstruction like John said has been happening like Jonathan said you know in my day my my co-host Jonathan on Trinity radio he said in my day we just called that you know thinking through your worldview you know and that that's a lot of what it is 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 well when you get to be in your early 20s if not before you kind of a lot of people kind of start thinking through and taking apart their faith and putting it back together to see what holds water and all those kind of things i did that i moved on some situations i think what has happened though is now that's still happening just like it's always happened but there is now almost an emphasis on this now being a part of your life, where you should do this. Like this is a this is something that everybody should be doing. I don't even actually have a problem with the notion that it should be doing, as long as there's not. And this is the part I don't quite know how to say because I don't I don't want to give an impression that's not correct about this. But if there is um, a flavor in it that if you're going to deconstruct, it's likely that you're going to move away from the Christianity that you that, you know that you grew up with. Well, that that shouldn't be the presumption the presumption should be I'm going to look through my worldview I may welcome right back to where I was you know do mm-hmm.
0: you, you think uh <clears throat> you know from a you know because you all do internet stuff I mean I, I'm, I'm as a pastor um, day in and day out you know um I think that a lot of what's going on because I think it's 23 percent of the American church disappeared during covid okay know. so 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 there's they're, 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 they're gone um, I think that some of that is because they got comfortable watching it on TV or whatever else, or maybe they got other stuff going on. But I do think there is a sense that um, there's an unsettledness just in the people of this country. And I think that unsettledness is also infiltrated in some ways in the church. And I think the fighting that's gone on has pushed some people out and and moved some. So I think some of that is coming from just the um, sort of just what's going on, you know, in, in the culture. Because I don't don't, don't think it's all, it's not all bad, because you should think through your worldview on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do think there are, I think there's people that are walking away because they've got tired of the church maybe looking like it represents one group or only Mm -hmm. speaks for one group. I think there's some of that going on that is bringing, I I don't know exactly um, the question exactly, but I think that's, I think we've tried to, you know, maybe... If you ask that question and we didn't do as good a job, maybe be more specific, and we'll try to we'll try to get to it. Um, for those who are sending in the questions, could could you guys um, delete the ones that have already been asked because they're starting to and and I my eyesight's terrible, so if you could re, whatever we've answered, get rid of those and then we'll go. So let's uh, let's see here. Next one here. <clears throat> my husband and I have a disagreement of speaking things into existence. How does Mark eleven twenty three and other verses about this subject look being used in everyday life practically. I think we need to read the verse to know
1: what the context is.
0: Let's let's go to, I'm sure that's the tree that Jesus curses, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Um, But I don't wanna, I don't want to. I'd like to know what the verse is that they're citing. The the verse is uh, um, whoever says to this mountain be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart. He's cursed the fig tree. Um, they passed by the morning, saw the fig tree withered. Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. Jesus said, have faith in God. Truly I say, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart and believes what he says, it will come to pass and it will be done for him. Therefore, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it. So the question, again, let's go back to the question because this is the question here that's being asked is, my husband and I have a disagreement of speaking things into existence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How does Mark eleven twenty-three and other verses about this subject look
2: being used in everyday life practically? That's a good pastor question. <laughs> Do you I get mean, this question? Have you ever got this question in church or no?
0: Yeah, you know, okay. <clears throat> I think that I think the, the the background of the question is really being asked from a, a movement that we would call a word of faith right. movement, right. okay, exactly. which not being negative or positive at this particular moment yeah. but but this idea that you know you know in Romans 4 it says that you know um, Abraham you know believed in against what he saw and you know in this this idea of speaking to mountains this idea of the words that we use can create that god spoke the world into existence yeah. our words have whatever um, m- my take would be that I don't think that Mark 11 is dealing with that particular uh, yeah. Yeah. subject I, I think that I think that's reading into a, a, a you're, you have an already sort of assumed theological belief that that, that we create certain things with our mouth which you know we do we can speak death and life into things there is a sense in which we do that um, the, the the context though would be he's cursing a fig tree and then he's saying about this mountain like what's going on in the passage I think is is not sort of the, let me speak something into existence, and God will do, you know, uh, what w- what I what
1: I want him to do, but uh, I yeah, go uh, ahead. you know, I mean, I, I would say in the in in the context, sometimes they would say things that would be exaggerated <clears> for <throat> emphasis. So mm-hmm. I think it's in Luke, but they, they talk about bringing bring me the head of John the Baptist, and I will give you half of my kingdom. The reply is not thank you, I'll have the northern half. This is exaggerated language, same within the book of Daniel, I'll make you the third greatest person in all the kingdom, it's an exaggerated language, they're going to reward them greatly. Jesus used it as well. You know, if you have faith, you're going to be able to do great things Is basically what's getting at. But it also comes with the uh, the implications that if you're following God, you're going to ask for the right things, you're not going to be able to claim whatever you want. I want a car or a, my own private plane, you're going to claim pious things, things that are going to honor the kingdom, because you're already following after God. Sure. So you're your um your will your desires are going to be shifted towards the desires of
3: god not towards your own personal pleasures chip i have a pastor friend named charlie wilson okay. and he, he he used to pastor first baptist sunnyvale in uh, sunnyvale texas great guy built a great church for the lord and he said when he first got saved when he first became a christian he heard that that verse hey i can i can save this mountain be cast in the sea she's like i'm gonna do it first thing in the morning while everybody's asleep i'm gonna get up i'm gonna do it it's gonna be awesome So he gets up, he goes in there, little guy, kneels down, he looks out the window, he sees this mountain. And he says, he's praying, Lord, please let that mountain be moved. Now the verse says, say, tell it to move. But in any case, he's praying, let it be moved. And it never happens. And so he's like, well, I guess Christianity's not true. And he told his dad about this. And his dad said, son, there's people live on that mountain. So this kind of hits at what Michael was saying. I was thinking this is when we're talking about prayer, And this would have to be the same in a situation like this there are all kinds of things it's common for us to hear from skeptics online well look the bible says that god will just give you anything you ask you know well it says whatever you ask in his name and according to his will and so there's all these caveats about prayer in the bible and to ask something as you know this is kind of in your vein of study when when you're asking in someone's name you're invoking the authority of your uh, uh, of of yeah your benefactor so so um So it should be the case that the kind of demonstration that would be on that scale would be at a time when I'm doing what God wants and asking for to happen what He wants to happen. And there, yeah, some amazing things can happen. I would would just say contextually,
0: and I think this is what's important, and it would be my take, is that Jesus has come upon a fig tree, and the fig tree has leaves. And traditionally, when the fig tree has leaves, it has fruit. Well, this one doesn't. So, it, in other words, it's somewhat of a deception, okay? I think what he's saying is is the mountain is the mountain that the temple is on. And what he's saying is, is that the temple is a deception. In other words, there's a lot of religious things going on, but it's not. And I think what he's trying to get them to understand is, is that he's going to be doing something different hmm. than what is going on in the Judaic system of of uh, the religion of his day that his his work is going to supersede all of that and i think he's trying to get them to understand that prayer is not so much about a result, which is the way we're reading it, but prayer is about bringing to bear God's kingdom. Mm. And he's saying when you're praying and you're and you're you're saying against these things that are not. It's almost like the Second Corinthians ten, where we're pulling down arguments and strongholds. That that it's the same type of language. And I think they would have understood it differently. Really, think what we're doing is we're taking a modern view of somebody who's been on TV that says, "What you say, God does." and we're going, okay, now we're mining passages of scripture that say, speak to this mountain. Mm-hmm. I'm not even sure that the context or the, what's going on in this passage has anything to do. Now, the, the, the lady says they're they're having a disagreement of speaking things into existence. My answer pastorally would be, God is the only one who can truly speak things into existence. Um, I think what we can do is we can pray and we can, and we can believe, but God is the one who answers prayer and we're told specifically how to pray. We're told to pray, his will be done, which means it's not my will. And we're told to pray in his name and a person's name was their character. It was who they were. And so you're, you're, you're having to pray within. So I think the, the prayer to me is more about relationship than results. And so I think that, that a lot of times we've confused that. So I don't know what the disagreement is, um, but I, I don't think that the Christian life is one that's supposed to be walking around saying, I'm gonna say these words and God has to do what I'm saying. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, think, I think it's, it's broader than that, hopefully Amen. that helps. Um, so good. let's see, sure. what can we learn from the story of Satan besides the spooky stuff?
1: <laughs> uh,
0: I'm glad you guys are here, man, yeah. <laughs> yeah. fire away. I, yeah. I don't even, I, I, be honest with you, I don't even know, when you say the story of Satan, I don't even know what that yeah. truly yeah. means right, because right. It, is, is there, it, what story are You're we right. talking about? Yeah. You know, because if it's Ezekiel 28 or Isaiah 14, I don't believe those even refer don't either, to Satan. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I think that the, the question would be, you know, what can we learn from Satan? I think that we can learn that he is... Um, someone who tries to thwart God's plans. I think he is someone who tries to destroy God's people. I think he's someone that tries to corrupt certain things. He tries to get things, you know, contrary to God's word. But I don't know that the spooky part
2: is, I'm curious what y'all think right. I, I would say um, <clears throat> and again, just going off of my own kind of understanding of the question, um, I would say that what we can learn is that like what Satan, did, right in the grand scheme of things is he didn't want God to be in control and he wanted to have be in control himself mm-hmm. and I think that that's kind of the temptation of the flesh for everybody you know what mm-hmm. I mean it's part of our sin nature where we think we can have these things apart from God we want our happiness apart from God which is why we go sin and do all these other things and the end result is always catastrophic right it's always it's always leads to these kind of dead ends where um, even if you're having fun your entire life Doing some sort of sin or something like that—it's still finite, and it's still never enough to fully satisfy you, you know. And so, continually um, living in this way where you're trying to get these things apart from God ultimately lead to destruction and death. So I think if you kind of, if you can take something from Satan's life, that's one thing that you could take to see how. It's really good. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: It's kind of like don't, don't be motivated by the things he's motivated by. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, this is, it's like. He's like the uh, Bizarro World version of what you should be. Do the opposite.
0: Sure. What's your best argument for us having free
3: will? Oh, Braxton has done a lot on this. Yeah. So I mean, it would depend on what we're whether we're talking about philosophical, like like uh, uh, biblical case for free will or just philosophical case for free will. Uh, Biblically, I there's obviously a lot we could say about that, and my Calvinist friends. Uh, will disagree with what I'm going to say here. But I believe that the Calvinists who, who believe who, who don't have the view of free will that I do, they, um, they would agree that we make choices. But when I look through the scripture, I see a story of libertarian choice. Libertarian freedom is the view that whatever you did, you could have done otherwise. Or at the very least, nothing external to you is determining your actions. And so... Um, And so I think when you read the Bible, it makes the most sense with that in mind. So like we see Cain and Abel in uh, Genesis chapter four, Uh, Cain has offered, we were talking about this earlier Mm -hmm. that Cain has offered uh, a bad sacrifice and, uh, but he's not yet, he's not yet uh, killed Abel. And so God speaks to Cain and he says, "Uh, why, why is your countenance fallen? Um, If you do well, will you not be accepted? But sin lies at the door. So uh, he's giving Cain the impression you don't have to do what you're doing, right? You could do otherwise. And that seems to me to uh, imply libertarian free will, because if it's not, it means, it, it seems like to me that God is saying something that is misleading or deceptive or something like that. Then you just go through the Bible, why choose death that you will die, live you and your descendants. Uh, I choose this day who you'll serve. I know that many of my opponents here would say, well, we grant all those things? I know, I'm just saying when you take all the data together, it feels like, it looks like, it's presenting a, a robust understanding of free
2: will that I would describe as libertarian freedom. Okay. N- philosophical is a different subject. Right, yeah, and I'd say just um, kind of quickly, like a few things that jumped in my mind is like neuroplasticity, for example, right? Um, uh, neuroplasticity, you can actually um, change the kind of um, the structure of your brain, not in the, the full structure, but in terms of like your neural pathways and stuff like this, depending on what you give attention to and stuff. So um, neuroplasticity and the fact that we um, <clears throat> can even have rational we, we can learn to, um, we can learn things knowledge rationality um, love all of these things here but on the flip side of it like a lot of people make arguments against free will based on um, I think it's kind of like an unfalsifiable argument you know yeah. what I mean because I'm like well why are we having this discussion about free will would well, have to be because we're determined to do so based off of our brain chemistry and again I'm not sure what type of free will um, the questioner is referring to, but yeah. we're talking in like a, a scientific way, like from an atheistic perspective or something like that, then I think that is kind of just a question-begging argument that's unfalsifiable. And so I, I usually find those arguments not to be very convincing to me personally. From the uh, philosophical side, when you remember that uh, free will is intuitive. It's our starting point.
1: We start with what we uh, intuitively believe and the uh, skeptic of something, say like uh, consciousness or free will has to provide evidence that our intuitions are wrong on this Uh, i don't think the skeptic has presented enough evidence that free will is an error i think we do have free will and the fact that we are conscious beings uh means we are self-aware we're able to think and process information unlike non-sentient things out there i think it's just natural that conscious beings have free will and i argue from my intuition on that if i'm wrong the skeptic needs to show me why my intuition is wrong. It's not on my, it's not my job to show that my intuition is true, technically speaking. They need to show that my intuitions are wrong. If it feels like we have free will, that's our starting point. They then need to mount a good argument that we do not actually have free will our intuitions are wrong. And to this day, I do not think the skeptic has done that.
3: And I I wanna speak to
0: that. I I probably have been more in the reformed circles (laughs) than you guys, okay? Um, I think that a, a lot of the Reformed side would say that you, you do have some freedom of mm-hmm. choice, mm-hmm. But, but there is a limited amount of mm-hmm. freedom that you have. Like before you became a Christian, your tendency was going to mm-hmm. be to sin. Okay, you didn't have just the ability to please God. So mm-hmm. in a sense, you had a throttled free will. N- not that you didn't have decisions you could make, right. but there was some limit to that yeah, sure. and, and, and so is there any is there any viability
3: to that argument? To well, you so or... what it sounds like you've got so from a reformed perspective there are there are Calvinists who do speak about it as though we're talking about libertarian freedom. Right. Um like f- fully or free will like mm-hmm. that. Uh but um so many of them are, are determinists and they wouldn't say uh the, the ones I'm thinking of the philosophically minded ones th- they wouldn't say like okay na- now you they would say your freedom is limited, mm-hmm. right? But when we're talking about free will, we're not talking about, um, as you know, I'm free to move around this room or whatever, but I'm not free to uh, you know, fly. go outside or fly like a bird or something like that. We're talking about do you have, you may have fewer options available to you. I have fewer options right now than I did when I was in Evansville in terms of getting around town, right? Because yeah. my car is there. But, uh, but yeah, so, so I think when we're talking about uh, determinism, we need to make sure that we understand we're talking about the ability to have done other than whatever you ended up doing or nothing exterior to you determining your actions. There is a sense in which uh, determinists and, and I both agree that they can have a free will on determinism. Mm-hmm. We can both agree they're not being <clears throat> coerced or in handcuffs or anything like that. But that's not really what we're talking about, right? We're talking about do you have the ability to choose other than whatever you ended up choosing? Yeah, and I think the question...
0: Your best argument for free will, I think, from what I'm hearing, summary-wise, it's the most intuitive thing that we experience. And you would say that the biblical choices of choose life or choose death, choose this day, whosoever will, come,
3: those all sort of imply some sort of choice. Is that combined with things that only make sense on libertarian understandings of freedom, in my opinion? Okay, got in scripture. Okay, good. Hopefully that answers yeah. the question.
0: <clears throat> what do you think of the C.S. Lewis-derived idea of hell? Being a psycho emotional torment session forever in comparison to a literal
1: fire that will physically burn people forever. Okay, well, most scholars, from like Jerry Walls to uh, even Orthodox scholars in the Orthodox Church, would say that hell is most likely meta, hell mostly has metaphorical fire, yeah. it's not real fire. Clay Jones uses the example of like when the rich man is in hell debating with Abraham and Lazarus, he's not screaming, he's able to form rational thoughts mm-hmm. and talk. People that are on fire can't do that. And yeah. the, the Bible says it talks about hell metaphorically as fire and an outer darkness, well, it can't lead literal both, mm-hmm. because if it's dark, there's no fire. Yeah. So most scholars of I've seen think that <clears> hell is <throat> the fire in hell is metaphorical for conscious tor- for you know, conscious torment, if it's eternal or not, that's a second debate.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually on an IVP book that's coming out at some point writing on hell yeah, yeah. so I'm not going to say anything I'll just yeah. let my I'll let my work sort right. of uh, but but I do think that I think that you're right that very few Christians regardless of how they view hell and I tend to view hell as eternal um, but that being said we we don't see it in the in the Dante-esque view right, yeah. it is a it, it is suffering it's agonizing it's all of those things and walking away from God but uh, um, I think C.S. Lewis from what I can derive from the question, I think we all would probably tend to agree with C.S. Lewis's side of it not being literal fire, yeah. than
3: being, you know, whatever. But there's also other yeah. views. But um, yeah. let's. Uh, yeah, but there, let's, there are other things I would find objectionable about C.S. Lewis's view that not everyone at this table might. Yeah. But I just wanted to say that. Yeah. It's and not a full endorsement. <clears throat> you're. Uh,
0: no, 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 no. I understand that. Because mm-hmm. um, then there are different views of hell. Yeah. So, you mm-hmm. know, and we, I think we all, I think we have some disagreements on that here, don't we? Yeah. Awesome. I mean, when I say yeah. disagreements, yeah, I mean yeah. we're, we may have a different view. I don't yeah, think yeah. And there's to. not
2: a ton of uh, stuff on hell in the Bible, period, I mean, given the whole, mm-hmm. ske- um, the whole book of the Bible, too. So, uh, like, C.S. Lewis wasn't basing his entire story off of just, you know, scripture. There's a lot of inference and in reading in, and I think that happens a lot with hell, so. And it's satire. The
3: Great <clears throat> Divorce is kind of a satirical yeah. Lore, yeah. or, yeah. you know, sort of thing. No. Um, do you have, any of you all
0: have an opinion on open theism? Are there any resources you would recommend for looking into open theism for or against it? Fire away. Um, yeah, I don't think so,
2: anybody's an open theist. You know, I'm not okay. an open theist, but um, um, some sources, if you want to learn more about it, I think Greg Boyd is probably one of the more prominent. He is an open yeah, theist. Yeah, he's probably yeah, one of the more prominent voices. On, Clark Pinnock has a uh, book. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: If you want something to click right now, since we're watching this on YouTube, I uh, think my Calvinist friend. Tyler Villa yeah. has had, a, good, couple, good, has good, had a, a couple of really good debates on the subject yeah. that, frankly, some concerns I might have had, it, it dealt with them for me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and <laughs> no offense to my theist friends out there, you guys know I love you, think yeah. you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so
0: I always hear about the end times, most Christians talk about it, what do you think of that
1: type of attitude? I think that we were not given that commission, we were given the Great Commission, which is to go out and spread the gospel, Saint not the to focus on end times. Yeah. I mean, I get really annoyed when I see people like Jim Baker selling food buckets for the end times. That's not what we were called to do. Yeah. Uh, when the end times happen, it'll happen whether we're sharing the gospel or not, or whether we have a million food buckets or not. Yeah. So let's go share the gospel and not worry about that. <clears throat> God will take care of it. I would
0: just comment that the, the biblical writers understand that the end times started with Jesus' ascension. Mm. You know, because the writer of the Hebrews says, in these last days, days, I mean, so the last days started then. I think that what we've got is a fixation about the timing and return of Christ, which every generation has said, they were the last generation. They've all been right with one thing, they were wrong. Um, You know, and I think that we just need to move on, not be fixated. We need to believe Jesus is coming back physically and literally that's that's orthodox christianity and we live in light of that but what are we supposed to be doing hunkered down no we're supposed to be
2: doing says, when i come back i want to find you working that's my biggest thing too is like i I just want people to continue to work like whether we're in the end times or not i mean in um close to jesus coming returning or not in terms of our lifetime um still we need to be doing our work the same way it shouldn't change (laughs) Um, the fact like we still need to be trying to get people to understand the gospel so i'm whenever i see people getting too carried away with that stuff i'm always asking them too. i'm like so what are you doing right now because i think that that's what's critical as well so okay here we go
0: from the genealogy of jesus the bible traces it to king david i'd like to know how that is since joseph the father of jesus who is of the bloodline of david is not biologically related to jesus
1: yeah that's a good question so one thing to think is that sometimes in the genealogies if you go back to the babylonian exile and if you compare those genealogies with what we find in chronicles it's not a direct father-son relationship either sometimes it's an adopted heir they would take on this idea of an adopted heir so it's idea that it's about the passing on of who they designate as their heir which is most important and we're talking about a time where a lot of times children didn't make it that far so they would often pick someone else to be their heir. Also, uh, so we need to keep that in mind as well. Um, Also, most scholars that are Christian would say that the genealogy of Mary's line starts in Luke. And so his heir, or Mary's father, took Joseph as his heir as well. That's why he's in there. But her bloodline as well, who is the mother of Jesus, goes back to David as well. Are people in hell right now? If so, have they been judged already? Well, I don't think final judgment has right. occurred yet. yeah
3: no one should think anybody's yeah, uh, in hell right now because what you see in luke chapter 16 for example with the rich man of lazarus uh, whatever you think about that story that's the intermediate state your physical body is in the grave right well i mean some people oh. still think that's like they, they well, look at yeah, that as it's hell it's even a picture right? of what it's technically gonna, it's like yeah. Hades, yeah. But just it's like
1: heaven
2: right yeah. it's yeah but it like, is important
3: to point out that when we talk about hell what most people are thinking of right is Gehenna hell after the judgment hell final your final situation and 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 there are four different words that we translate that have been translated hell which i think is frankly problematic given that the new testament authors use different words for a reason
2: Mm -hmm.
3: um and so i think that that's something that should be kept in mind but so i guess if that's if that's the view then yeah uh there are people in hell a word hades that is translated hell but in terms of ultimate after the judgment hell where your body and soul uh, I, I don't think okay. I mean I think there are still souls that are separated from God right now in place yes. we could call hell yes you know. hell I separates from God
0: yes okay. um, if souls merge with sex I presume so with rape in the Old Testament they would kill oh, the rapist right. but now
2: that we're supposed to be merciful how would you separate a soul okay i think what they're getting at is seems like to me and i may be wrong but i think they're thinking that the idea of like soul ties Mm -hmm. is something that's like biblical in in the sense where it's like the bible says if you sleep with somebody then your soul is tied to them forever Mm -hmm. i think that's what they're probably referring to behind it and so um and so given that then the question would be about if you're raped or is your soul tied to that person and therefore it's extra bad i guess right is that is that how you guys understand it I don't think that's <clears throat> biblical at all. I don't right, think yeah. souls
1: tie right. during sex. I think sex is reserved for marriage for special reasons. But I don't, And I, I think you can become very intimate with your spouse that way you feel like you're tied to them. But that doesn't just come from sex. Yeah. That comes from having a very intimate relationship that is different from every other type of relationship and involves sex. But sex itself is not what does this thing we feel that is tying. Uh, that we need to make sure that we don't put women in this situation where you feel like their soul has been damaged by this because they were victims and they can recover especially in Christ it's not the end of who they are their identity is not built to some purity they have Mm. it's built in Christ so let's not push this idea that uh, you know you need this sort of purity and if you've ever been raped that purity has been stained and now your soul is tied to this rapist that's just not biblical
3: oh yeah it's not okay
2: is it wrong or sinful to ask God for a sign or for signs they're probably assuming the scripture where Jesus says only a wicked <laughs> generation will ask for a sign, but they only get the sign of Jonah. Uh, I think that's probably what they're referring to. I, th- I uh,
1: don't think it's necessarily
2: wicked. What do you say, though? Oh, you disagree with Jesus. <laughs> okay. No. Well, it depends, <laughs> on, it depends on where they're coming from. Right, right, right. Um, that's a good question. I guess, it, and this is where it gets kind of pesky, but I'd want to know kind of what, how they would define these words or what they're kind of referring to or what's an example of it. And I think um, then it would help to kind of answer that question. Um, I'd say if you're saying, like, God, show me a sign um, um, so that way I can believe in you or something like that. Um, I do think that when we look biblically, I think we have enough evidence to know that God exists outside of having some sort of personal direct sign in that sense. Um, I think that the Holy Spirit obviously plays a role in salvation and stuff, but um, it also uses scripture and stuff to do so. So I think of just kind of looking into it and stuff you don't need um, a miraculous sign per se in order to just kind of look yeah. at the evidence and evaluate it based off. And of that. so
1: when Jesus said this, a wicked generation asked for a sign. this was during a public honor challenge. The, his opponents come and they challenge him. Give us a sign, you know publicly so mm-hmm. you can prove who you are, kind of thing. I think if you're doing it more privately, I think it's I don't think it's the right way to go because it, we don't need it because we have scripture. Um, if, if it's anything addition to Scripture that says what Scripture says is not necessary. If it says something opposite of Scripture, then it's obviously wrong. So we need to be very careful with asking for signs. I think if you're walking with God and you're drawing closer to Him, you're not going to feel a need for signs to begin with because you trust Christ to begin with. Yeah, <clears throat>
0: I think that it's. I think it all comes down. It's an individual thing. I think as a general rule, asking for a sign, in my opinion, would be some sort of lack or deficiency. In trusting God in some area, but that's we're all sort of mm-hmm. from time to time that way. Right. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, what he, was the
3: question specifically? It was a- is it
0: wrong or sinful to ask God for a sign
3: hmm. or for signs? No. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't. I don't know that you're. I under I think this happens to everybody. Yeah. I think what you guys have already said is yeah. So um,
0: it, it shouldn't be the way we. How about this? Can we agree <laughs> right. with this? Asking for signs shouldn't be the way a Christian operates. Right. Okay. Right. Right. Right, right, um, right. Is getting a tattoo a sin? um well, wait, hold on man you, why, why you yeah, yeah it's a sin <laughs> yeah. <I'm laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah um
2: so here, here's what i will say about this so there's there's a ton of stuff on this people see and people usually will go to like leviticus uh, what is it 1928 or something where it says don't cut marks in your skin for the dead this is like probably the most popular verse people use to say that you can't get tattoos um i think reading the bible in context makes a lot of sense a couple of verses before that it says how you shouldn't trim the corners of your beard you have all these voices, you know, but in context, what he was saying is they were cutting marks in their skin in honor of the dead in worship of other gods, you mm-hmm. know, and so because of that, that's obviously something we all shouldn't do, you know, and so, but I think that here's what I will say. So I don't think biblically, I don't think there's a strong case why you can't get a tattoo, but um, as I've grown and gotten a little bit more mature, <laughs> um, I would say that I think. Um one thing that I, I haven't heard anybody really talk about, but I've thought about would be reasons why I would encourage people not to get a tattoo. I'd say is if the reason why you're getting a tattoo is for some sort of vanity or to get um, attention drawn or for like ego purposes or something like that, then I think that in that case it would be wrong to get a tattoo because you're getting it, it's all about the kind of reason why mm-hmm. you're doing it in that mm-hmm. sense. And so in those cases I would say, but when it comes to the biblical case for why you can't get a tattoo, I don't personally find them persuasive. Um, and me and David Wood and Vocab Malone all did um, a video on it and Vocab doesn't have any tattoos and stuff and Mike Winger doesn't have any tattoos and we all hold a similar position. I even spoke with Craig Blomberg about it too. Similar position, we we all kind of agree we don't think there's <clears throat> any biblical um, evidence to say this act is wrong, but like with a lot of different acts, you know what I mean, it depends on your motive. And if you're gonna get a tattoo to worship other gods, don't do it. Right. So I did a TikTok
1: video a couple months ago on this and some scholars wrote a paper saying that it may not be uh, for markings of the dead it says you could get a cut for the dead or do not get a tattoo and in that culture Typically a slave would be marked with a tattoo and they could be saying God could be saying you were slaves in Egypt You're no longer slaves, So you're not going to get a tattoo because in this culture it was wrong However, that same word also shows up in the book of Isaiah later on and they were the scholars were noting in this light It's talking about a positive because it's talking about getting a mark for the Lord on you yeah. so in that sense it could be positive if you're doing it for God so they came to the conclusion it depends on context if you're doing it because you want to be a slave or for the dead or for a false god it's wrong but if you're doing it for god they said it would be a good thing mm-hmm. and i noticed right here
0: um that i said what did i said that that's from second corinthians 10 it's a mm-hmm. uh, pulling down the uh, the arguments uh, it p- pulling down the logic the arguments but can and, you uh, can you read the hebrew uh, one no i'm not because gonna that's it <laughs> down and backwards no what, hosea 4 6 my people are destroyed it's, for it's lack, lack of, of knowledge, knowledge. Oh, yep yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, <clears throat> let's go. Ahead. Let's continue on. In Islam, Virgin Mary had no husband. Joseph, carpenter, not in Quran. How's Mary a virgin in the Bible if she has a husband and begotten son with God? You know what begotten means.
1: Okay. <laughs> so in the Bible, it says she has not known a man. They were, she was betrothed to Joseph, yeah. but she did not ha- sleep with him yet before she was pregnant. And Joseph was going to divorce her until an angel came and said, "No, this is something different. Keep with her." So read the Bible is what I would say because it it clearly it defines and explains this. Yeah,
0: a Jewish betrothal is different than our marriage. And yeah, Um, okay. Question about brain damage. Are brains the gateway for souls to experience physical reality, in the same way a computer is the gateway
2: for the human player to engage in a video game?
3: Dude, that's got IP written
2: all yeah, over it. I, I, you I like say this something? question. Yeah, yeah, no, I like this question. Do you? I, I, yeah. IP thinks it's funny. Why is it so? No, funny? I like the question <laughs> too. No, I, I'm I, laughing at all the questions I get. <laughs> <laughs> I just get excited. Uh. Yeah, yeah, no, um, I, I, I would say this. I mean, I, I would somewhat agree with that question, and actually, you can tell me if you disagree, given, given your work. But I, I think that um, our our souls do operate through the brain. So I'm a substance substance dualist, um, where I believe that. Um, um, we have there's a the soul is a different substance in the body, the physical and non um i p is an idealist, so he believes everything's called one substance but I would say like um i would uh, I would think that that would be the case like so if you have brain damage it's it's the same thing you're operating through this physical world with your soul, and if there's brain damage, then there will be an issue um because you need that in order to kind of work through it, you know what I mean to properly function um, but I think that there's a lot of research and stuff that um, even i think I've seen in some of your videos too where um people can have a lot of brain damage and where they're technically not supposed to kind of be thinking they can still think and there's something still there Mm -hmm. um i remember a study you referenced with um, a kid that was born without a brain or or yeah limited but yeah so anyways I, i do think of it that way i think that um once we no longer are in this physical reality in this form um i think that we no longer um will function through those but we still function General.
3: I agree. My, my view on this is, to, is uh, the analogy I would put with what you just said is something like our brain is like the hardware of let's say an FM radio. And if a song is coming through that radio and everything's right, everything's fine. But if it gets damaged, if the apparatus gets damaged, you didn't damage the signal coming in, no. but you did damage the apparatus it, it, it uses or that it comes through. Yeah. And I think there's something to that, um, yeah. but, uh, but I'm also a dualist. so IP? Yeah, so I'm an idealist, I think all is mind. Uh, and if you want more, you
1: can see my channel on how I explain that. I have a, a series called Irreducible Mind, and I go into a lot more detail on that. I say that the brain, the body itself, is the, uh, it's a third-person of experience of what a first-person conscious experience looks like. So if you enter into physical reality, You, as a conscious agent, have to look like something to interact with that, and that would be your brain. That's what consciousness would manifest as in reality. So when it comes to things like brain damage, uh, you're affecting how consciousness is acting in reality. So it's along the same lines as you would say. And I say there's not a lot of difference between idealists and substance dualists. You just guys haven't figured out the next step yet. Uh, to get to the truth. So that's the important thing there. But it's along the same lines, it's just you sort of damage the way that the conscious agent is able to interact within reality. I mean, you can you know, take out my eyes and blind me, I'm still a conscious agent, I just lost a certain feature that I could have used in physical reality to um, interact in there.
0: Um, Question here is, what is a verse that gives you comfort in hard times? I'll go first. Um, Mine is Romans 8.18. Paul says that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. And to me, whenever I'm going through a difficult time, I remind myself that this is a very, very small part of eternity. And that as a believer and as a child of God, that the sufferings that are part of this world um, will one day give way to glory. And that gives me hope that, that no matter what I'm experiencing right now, I know what the end game is. And uh, that, that usually gets my head in the right spot.
3: Mm-hmm
1: yeah i might also write a unconventional one jeremiah 17:9. for the heart is wicked and deceitful who can understand it it reminds me that you know I, it gives me comfort to remind me that um i don't have to have all the answers i don't yeah. have to be perfect that god yeah. understands that my own desires are can corrupt and uh you know lead me down the wrong path and i need to keep that in mind but just knowing that
2: reminds me that um i don't have to be perfect because he is perfect yeah um honestly like i have a a lot of different verses for whatever I'm going on in, in, in my life. You know what I mean? So, um, not really one that I'd say like, it depends on what I'm going on. Like if it's like anxiety, you know, you can you cast your burdens on him and, um, you know, so there's a whole bunch of different ones, but I don't have one specific okay. one that I go to for everything, to be honest with you. Yeah. Two. Two.
3: One is John 14, three. I'll go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come and, and receive you unto myself that where I am there, you may be also. That's just such a great promise that it's not over. Yeah, And then, of course, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Uh, But but those two. I love those two. Um, So let's see here. How boldly should one go
0: if casually evangelizing to my personal training clients when topics of abortion, trans kids' rights seem to come up?
1: Should I be gentle but firm? Should I avoid? Fire away. It depends on the person. Remember that when Jesus came after Lazarus died martha got a sermon mary got tears (laughs) jesus knew how to respond to
2: each person yeah i i I mean yeah obviously that's that's where i kind of go to is the people but i think he said for a class right yeah this is a um personal training clients okay a training class so um here's my thinking is um i think what we need to keep first things first right So first things first is going to be the gospel message right Uh, when it comes to all this stuff if it's on the way to be a roadblock towards the gospel then i think it needs to be addressed you know Mm -hmm. um and i think we we all want to be um we want to be bold but not like abrasive right (laughs) you know what i mean or something it's like we we don't want to be cowardly um or or too um or obnoxious you know what i mean we we really want to kind of push away i think from our natural temperaments a little bit in answering these questions um but i think you you should be as bold as needed in order to communicate the message to the people that you're talking to but I think first think about what is your goal here and is addressing it is it on the way to that goal or is it could it be a roadblock to that goal and I think that's the first question reaching reaching.
3: people with Jesus uh, for Jesus is not
2: necessarily getting everyone
3: to accept all, all the things that go along in your personal opinions or worldview or whatever it's getting them to accept the truth about the one true God that's right and that he raised Jesus from the dead so Um, I've had on occasion evangelizing had someone say, well, listen, if I become a Christian, what if X, Y, and Z? And I'll say, well, listen, why don't you become a Christian, then ask God about that. That's the most important thing. And so when it comes to these issues like abortion and other issues, which I obviously have very strong positions on, if the point is we're trying to reach them for Jesus, they need to become convinced that there's a God and God raised Jesus from the dead, and that if they'll repent and trust in him, they'll be saved. And so that doesn't involve me necessarily
2: having to talk about abortion or anything else, even though I think that's a very important topic. Yeah, (laughs) and and I will say just a quick note on that too, is that I think that that topic is more relevant today for younger um, people too. Um, A lot of people like the Mm -hmm. older generations tend to focus on like evolution and stuff like that. Younger people, in, in my experiences, everybody I've talked to, they, they don't typically care you know, about whether, it's not a stumbling block for them in the faith. And the older generations are like, we gotta get them to get rid of evolution. You know what I mean? But that's not the case. So I say that for all Christian teachers too, you should actually think through these issues very well. And there's good resources out there too. I know, um, um, I believe Sean McDowell did um, some work on this. I remember reading part of a book that he did on this too, which I thought was very good, kind of a good starter too. So, um, be prepared though to answer these sorts of questions and always find a way though to try to show people the gospel, like have some sort of um, idea of where you're going. Why doesn't God
0: heal amputees or those with serious bodily
1: defects like burnings, deformities, etc.? I hope he does. So the way I would say this yeah. is that we need to look at the, the big picture here. God doesn't heal 99% of people out there. Uh, most people that have existed in history uh, have not been healed by God. Jesus's ministry was sort of like this big anomaly and then there was some healings after that, but for the most part, this is just not what God is focusing on. Let's be clear about this. But uh, Jesus did heal an
2: amputee. Remember mm-hmm. when Peter took off, took out the sword, because right. off, Jesus yeah. healed it, so. So what yeah, Malchus. Yeah. 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 yeah, yep. He so, wouldn't he, name it for
0: the year though. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> he just missed. <laughs> so you're absolutely right. So he does, but let's remember that this yeah. is like part of a, exactly. a sub-question of a much larger group, is why isn't God doing more healing and stuff? Yeah. And I think we need to remember, what is God focusing on right now? Right now he is focusing on making us more virtuous getting us ready for eternity, mm. sanctifying us. He's not focused on uh, making us perfectly happy. Uh, he's focused on trying to build our characters and our virtue. And there are different ways he's going to do that with different people, whether we like it or not. He's not here to be our butler in the sky, mm. make everything happy, always heal us when we demand it. He says, my, he says you know, in your weakness, you know, my, my strength is made sufficient. That's mm. what we're supposed to say. Through our weakness, he is made strong, and that's what he does. So he's going to work through people that have their amputees or that our handicap in some way. Uh, he's going to work for people without it. He's focused right now. His aim of his, um, of his uh, in my view, is to sanctify us. And then in the resurrection, then all all of that will be wiped away, as Revelation says. Yeah. Paul
3: says and something almost exactly like that. You know, and you you were referencing it. Mm-hmm. Is he says I've asked three times. To- I have this me- uh, thorn in the flesh. Messenger. of Satan. Yeah, but hold on, no. Yeah. He says I have a thorn in the flesh. that yeah. Was what? Yeah. Do what? It was what?
0: I I think. No. It was no no. It was what? A messenger. Say no it was. The thorn in the flesh was what? Something to me. What's the Do word what? there? Well, it the, the thorn in the flesh was blank to me. What's that word there? Oh given yeah. to yeah, me. Given to Chorus. Yeah. Yes, yeah. It's mm. a grace. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he was given the thorn. See, yeah. See we don't look at it and that he way. asked three yeah. times. He yeah. says it was given to me. He yeah. doesn't say that it was saddled, that it was yeah. shackled. He said it was given to yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and we, we, we tend to not even be able to process that those things could be things that God is using to build character, 100%. all those things. Like that. That's why I want to make yeah. sure you, that, that, is, yeah, that is a chorus derivative, which we get our word of grace from. Um, it was given to me. Yeah, a thorn see. in the flesh was given to me. That makes sense. Mm-hmm.
2: And and um, the thing, too, That's is that i
0: have to be yeah. a biblical guy here for a minute. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not a, the apologetics guy, but I will pick out some words here yeah, for you. Yeah, man. I think you, that man. that
2: becomes an issue a lot of times because the assumption is wrong. Like Christianity um, doesn't teach that you're always going to be happy and perfectly healed and stuff in this life, you yeah. know what I mean? And so the assumption is wrong, but to be fair, a lot of people get that assumption because a lot of evangelists or some people will be teaching that like mm-hmm. come to God and he'll do all these things for your life you know so yeah, yeah. yeah
1: okay. remember remember what God is doing he's trying to make us our souls better bodies will be taken care of in the resurrection right now this is what's important yeah. okay so i'm going to we're going to push a little bit let's just try to get through
0: these okay is nothing too big for god to handle no oh, okay. nothing is too big for okay. god to handle. um why does god choose only some people for election and not everyone this makes yeah. it seem like
2: he does not love everyone. Oh, man. I don't think, are any of us reformed or any of you guys reformed? He
3: chose Jesus and you can get in Jesus, be in Jesus. What he said. Yeah, Jesus so, is a lot. Um, yeah.
2: what, what I would say is, is
0: that the idea of, of asking the question about God electing some and not electing some, that is a theological question yeah. that doesn't necessarily um, it doesn't address what everybody thinks about Christianity. Yeah. would be the, it, the, right. it is. <clears throat> and if God has elected some and not elected some, mm-hmm. he's a good God and he knows what he's doing. Yeah. And at the end of the day, if that's what is the deal, we just mm-hmm. gonna have to say, well, God did it that way. It doesn't yes. mean he's not loving. The I idea would be, him. the idea would be if yeah. everybody's on the way to hell, um, anybody who's kept from hell, that would be grace. Right, right, you know, right, so, yeah. um, depending on you. Question for the panel, who's one prominent non-believer that you'd
3: like to have a discussion or debate with? Mm-hmm. Sam Harris. Jordan Peterson. I've already said this many times, Richard Dawkins, which would probably shock people. <clears throat> or Joe Rogan. I'd love to go on his podcast. Oh, yeah. I still Joe think he's the most famous a- a- atheist over, like, yeah. in the world, and so I'd like a chance to evangelize him, yeah. but Joe Rogan would be awesome. Yeah. i Joe go Rogan on Joe Rogan's podcast on a Kate.
1: Why does worship
0: have to be so repetitive, hook-oriented? Music mm-hmm. is so wonderful, complicated, and rich with technical excellence but contemporary Christian music is on the level of pop radio 1970.
1: Okay, make better music then. I believe in you. You can do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. If, you, that's, if that's the way you feel, that's yeah. where your heart is at,
2: do <laughs> it. Yeah. Uh, I would say it doesn't have to be. <laughs> I, mean, yeah, but I mean, I think, it's a, false, I think it's a yeah. false <laughs> assumption yeah. because you seeing you, a, you, inspired, you sing, a, you
0: sing a yeah. lot of that amazing grace over again. <laughs> yes, There's yeah. a lot of repetition. It's just the bottom line is yeah. people just don't like certain forms of music, yeah, exactly. and, yeah. and they find criticisms in it. You know, the bottom line is is music is used to get us to touch and, and, and move us into yeah. the idea of God. I think the better question would be is is music today theologically sound? Yeah, exactly. th- th- yeah, that would yeah. be the bigger question. Yeah.
2: But, um, yeah. and I mean, different cultures have different types yeah, of But the bottom music
0: line is is so, everybody's yeah. enculturated. If yeah. you're, you're singing the songs that are like yeah. what you're... I guarantee yeah, exactly. you the songs that people grew up on <clears throat> that were written a long time ago were very much like the songs that were being written that That were not christian it's i think we just really don't understand the music thing very well um i I saw somebody posted something today that uh um, you know contemporary christian music is like a rock concert and you're drinking the cup of devils when you and I'm like going, oh, how do you, oh, how, I don't how know what does, I that means. How, <laughs> well, it's Corinthians, when Paul says at the, the communion table, uh, you can't drink oh, the cup of the Lord okay. and the cup of devils, yeah. and you know, saying that the modern, How's that? I don't know. Yeah, I, it's, yeah, it, okay. Anyway. Yeah. The, the bottom line is, is this, some people don't like music, and some people uh-huh. don't like, my thing would be, and this is what I would say to everybody, when you go to a service, you're not there as a consumer, yeah. you're there to yes. contribute, yes. And, and no matter what song, there's tons of songs that we do that I don't even like, but yeah. you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna worship God, in the song. So, He's like, I don't even like my band. <laughs> I know, I know, that's right. Um, what, would you, what, would you, what would be your summarized response to a natural disaster?
2: Oh yeah, I think that's probably a problem of ego question, I'm assuming. I guess, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. and I, I'd say that this is, where we talked about this um, the last session um, for quite a bit of time, but man, to try to limit it in, I'd say something like this. Just because you can't think of a good reason why god would allow something bad to happen doesn't mean there can't be one (laughs) and i mean that in in and i know because it's a short answer i can't express like i do understand like and i don't want to come across as if i'm not um sympathetic to something bad that happened but i think there's a lot of things at play here too um like free will and choosing to live in in some areas where some natural disasters occur and, and stuff like this but um i'm not trying to be dismissive but it can go deep but i'm trying to kind of go quick so that's why i yeah. kind of said it that quick. i'd say the best response is how can we help yeah yeah okay
0: you. why is there debate among christians on whether women can preach if you were to ask jesus if a woman could preach the word what would we
1: presume his answer would be well i mean we're not jesus but i think i think it is clear that there are places in the bible where women are in those type of roles like junia romans 16 for example as well as in acts with um, I think Philip's daughters that yeah, are prophesizing yeah, as well, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. I think people have gone to 1 Timothy, and I know there's a lot of scholarship on this that's saying that Paul is using words in there he doesn't use anywhere else in the mm-hmm. Bible. No. Based on the cultural context, he may not be saying that. I think it could be translated as, I will not permit a woman to teach that she is the author of a man, based on some scholarship
2: I have seen. But there's a lot of debate around there's that. A, yeah, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, I, I want to unpack a lot of it here. But... I was gonna say the bottom line yeah. is this. Yeah. The first people, to teach that Jesus rose from the dead
0: were women yeah. to men. First evangelist. Yes, the mm-hmm. first evangelist. I mean, I don't know how you get it around if your sons and daughters can prophesy. Right. Yeah. Um, I, but I, if I anybody think, cares, I'm a soft complementarian. Yeah. You're soft complementarian, what are you?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I think that there was probably something going on there too. I mean, there's some commentaries that say like, um, oh, a lot of times the women were staying home, and they were easily to be deceived by mm. these false prophets and stuff like that. So there was something <clears> specific <throat> going on, I think, in that time, because it doesn't seem consistent with the rest of the stuff we see in Scripture. That's my view. But mm-hmm. yeah. okay, um, why did God drown sinless puppies and kittens in Noah's flood? <laughs> sinless <laughs> puppies and kittens—way to pull on our heartstrings, man. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. this seems like it's an
1: appeal to emotion, yeah. based on especially how it's worded. Not someone who's trying to be more logical, but one is focusing trying to pull emotional strings when it comes to that uh so for one thing uh let the, the clear and brute answer is that god has control over creation he's the one who made it he can do whatever he wants with it uh, so let's be clear about that uh, if he feels that he needs to be destroyed to uh, possibly prevent worse disasters from possibly happening uh you know possible ability before the flood of animals being tortured or humans utterly destroying everything and he needed to wipe out that generation to start anew because of all the problems he has a right to do that he's omniscient he can see what are the best options to take because he's able to look for far further in the future than we ever could okay, so i right i'm gonna we're gonna go quicker here and um
0: just i'm gonna i'm gonna have to pick and choose some stuff here because of time okay. um lucifer
1: in isaiah 14 is it satan or not satan I, I follow Heiser on this, and I say it's not Satan, but it's using imagery of Satan from the past that the author of Isaiah knows about to sort of paint that current
2: prince or king. I haven't looked into a lot of depth on it, but I, I lean towards that it is Satan. But okay. um, yeah, discussion mm-hmm. of had. Uh
3: I say it's not Satan, and I recommend Clinton Arnold's great work, uh, Powers of Darkness, as well as book. Yeah, Angels and <coughs> Demons. Since and Nonsense, it's about Angels and Demons by Rob Butler. Okay for IP, which is me. That's IP. Yeah, and that's, uh, um, what is it,
1: philosophy? Inspiring philosophy. Inspiring philosophy, philosophy. Yeah. okay.
0: Um, it would How be about Michael him? to make because I'm, I'm just old school, but IP. Um, is there any update on you discussing the logic of the resurrection
1: with the apostate prophet? It was briefly mentioned a few months ago with David Wood. I do not recall that. Sorry, I probably forgot, uh, but I'd be happy to have it. I just, we I get, I get busy. I'm planning out debates and discussions for like late fall at this point. How old's so. the earth? I would say 4.6 billion years old. Older than 6,000 years.
3: Yeah, I go with whatever science says about this because I don't see it in conflict with scripture. Right, okay. Um,
0: um, How do you square the various parts of the Bible that show various views of women, leadership in the church? I think we sort of talked about that. So um, uh, thoughts on comparisons between Jesus, Jesus, Plotinus, and Apollonius biographies?
2: Uh, Which which biographies? Thoughts on
0: the comparisons
1: between...
2: Oh, oh, yeah. Apollonius
1: of Tyana
0: is one of them. So
2: there
1: was these... uh, That's a bad Bad argument. Philostratus wrote A Life of Apollonius in, I believe, the second or third century about a sage who lived in the first century. And most scholars think he's actually... Could very well be borrowing from the Gospels in the Book of Acts, taking Christian motifs. I know the scholar Glenn Bowersock wrote a book called "History Is Fiction" and basically made this argument that after the Nero and persecution, Christian texts seeped down to the pagan world. They started borrowing. Apollonius could be very one like that. The one thing also is that the the biography of Apollonius uh, does, is not nearly as reliable as the Gospels are when you look about one thing because it has them talking about the like, kings of Babylon that didn't exist at this time and it's also uh, Richard Burge brings it up in his book What Are the Gospels and says some scholars don't even think this is a biography because it's just it has all this extra stuff about geography that wouldn't be in a typical biography so there's a lot of debate about those works. What's the best um, arguments you've heard
0: for preterism if any? I don't know any full preterists because preterism (laughs) says that everything's done. What I know is partial uh, yeah. Okay, and that's the the temple, the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. is more in line of what you know um, Luke 21, Mark 13, um, Matthew 24 are talking about, and and I would say that partial preterism is a very viable alternative yeah. to some of the other things.
3: I know that there's a push among partial preterists to stop using the term partial preterists and say, no, it's the full preterists that need to have the caveat. We're just normal preterists Yeah, exactly. that are not heretical or anything. (laughs) Um, Uh, Are
1: are any any of you all what would be labeled as a partial preterist?
3: I
0: I would, and I would say a
1: good argument is you compare Jesus's all of it discourse to some of the um, uh, pronouncements of judgment in the Old Testament. Uh, It's Jewish apocalyptic language. It's like saying hell's going to freeze over when this event happens. I mean, you go back to Isaiah 19, Isaiah says, Yahweh's going to come to the gods of Egypt and topple the statues. Okay, that didn't literally happen. I don't think Isaiah thought that was literally going to happen. He's using apocalyptic language. It's just saying God's going to bring judgment. Um,
0: It says, uh, Paul has been known to call out false preachers by name. Why do you think people are so afraid in this day and age to call out or steer clear of certain preachers who preach a false gospel? Uh, I don't think that that's true. I think a lot of people call out people. um, But I think that you just have to choose what your lane is on how you know i mean are you called to be the guy that
2: calls out people are you not i think
1: winger calls out people all the time
0: yeah yeah
2: go ahead i was thinking even like first john and stuff too he's not um, calling people out by names there i think there's a time and place for everything and if the context demands it, you know, but I don't think that it's always necessary either. I mean, I think it's more helpful to teach people how to discern what's true or what's not true. Yeah, that's more helpful than saying this person is I would as a pastor, I would rather teach
0: my people how to discern between truth and evil so they know, rather than call somebody out, which maybe make them go seek out. There's just, you know, so um, uh, why does the church, what does the church
1: need more of and why? Cowbell, right? Um, How do we get more of what's needed? We need more intellectual uh, arguments, more intellectual teachings, more schools,
2: training people up to know what Christianity is, why they believe it, how to defend it. Yeah, I think making Christianity, uh, at least making the, the gospel clearer to people so that way they can articulate it and they can understand it and understand the practical implications for their lives and for other people's lives. So being able to articulate it and also just engage in Christianity intellectually as well. This is yeah. great.
0: This is a Chris Date question. He Chris, says, uh, what's suggested, up? how does the aspect of an eternal hell not contradict a benevolent God. Um, I think that's a false equivocation. You're, you're, you're assuming that a benevolent God yeah. has a certain view of, of whatever. I would say that the only view that really takes the holiness of God and the benevolence of God effectively is the idea of eternal separation from God.
3: Well, I, I wanna to speak to this because I was actually at the Rethinking Hell Conference yeah. and yeah. argued with Chris a little bit about this. Really quickly, I don't know who came up with this. I think there's some merit in it. Um, Chris disagreed with me. And you can watch what he said on the video because I don't remember what he said, Chris, sorry. Uh, but basically if, but we love you. If if I if, mm-hmm. if I if there's a cat outside my window every night whining and finally I just can't take it anymore and I go out and I kill the cat, which I would never do, but if I did kill the cat. There's a penalty for that under Indiana law. I don't know what it is. Maybe I have to spend a night in jail. Maybe I pay a fine. I don't know because I typically don't. I never kill cats. Yeah. Okay. Better. Uh, if you kill, if if you if I get if my neighbor keeps buying cats and I realize I've got to solve a deeper problem here, and I go kill my neighbor. Okay. Now we kind of recognize intuitively there is a penalty for sinning against a cat. Let's say not so big relative to my life. Sinning against a man, it's equal to my life. Uh, maybe I go get capital punishment. Maybe I'm in prison for the rest of my life. At least that's the idea because our lives are equal in value. Well, then what does that do for an eternally valuable God? What must the penalty be? Yeah. That's the best. Um, and, and and then, of course, you could say there's only one person who could qualitatively take that penalty, and that's God. So God becomes man, takes that penalty so that we don't have to pay it for ourselves. Uh, and you have to be a perfect man. So that that all makes some sense to me if I'm defending the eternal conscious sure. torment Sure. Yeah.
2: And, and uh, Chris did write a comment saying that there's my name and I didn't ask that question. Uh, I'm not sure if the okay. context is so, just so you know, it might <laughs> not Stacey, be him, but see, I don't know. That's yeah. what I got here. said, okay, Chris, he yeah, wanted
1: but he
0: didn't
2: ask Oh, okay, okay. Oh, he wanted the
0: question answered, but he didn't ask it, so uh, oh, okay. okay, oh, okay. okay. He suggested you answer this person's question. Okay. Um, okay. Um, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, could we have the New Testament exactly the way we have it today? If no, why not?
1: No, because that Paul was basing everything on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. The gospel authors were building up to this climactic moment. We won't even have the New Testament if Jesus didn't rise from the dead.
2: I mean, um, I think you could have it. The content would be different. I mean, very, It depends very on what different. you mean if it, um, by... Um, could we have the New Testament? I mean, that, that sounds like a strange question. I, mean, I must be miss, missing a point. But... There's nothing logically impossible yeah. Yeah, yeah, about the I mean, New yeah, Testament having anything, been written. Right? Like right. But the problem is the thing
3: that motivated yeah, yeah. all of that was the resurrection. Yeah, It motivated. The, 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 the yeah. seven changes in life and practice, N.T. Wright talks about, it. and yeah, all this that's right. launched off. Yeah. Um, is God of the gap a
0: cop-out that atheists hide behind?
2: Yes. I think it's a bad argument. Because yeah, there's science of the gaps. No God of the gaps. (laughs) There's a future humans of the gaps. Oh, you know, you're you're just using gap to
1: fill in this knowledge we don't have. Future humans are going to figure that out, and you won't need God. That's a future humans of the gaps they use all the time. Are all apologists biblical literalists? Oh, yes. (laughs) That's not literally true, though. (laughs) Um,
0: What would you rather have, Scripture or Jesus actually coming to you in physical form right now?
2: That one. Scripture. No, honestly, Scripture. Uh, The reason why I say so is because... Scripture, I think you have more like if, if uh, with the scripture you have these accounts of Jesus that are, are public and they're they're um, in, in physical reality where other people are seeing and stuff. You have more of a collaboration where if Jesus just came to me in my room alone, I would start questioning. I'd say, well, is that I really Peter Jesus? Peter says that. Yeah. I Peter would,
0: says that the Mount of Transfiguration was not as valuable as the word that's yeah. right yeah oh that's and, right yeah yeah, yes, he does. And, yeah I, would and add, I
2: agree because you have a history too from the old testament to the new testament and i would add
1: because of C.S. look C. lewis's book until we have faces we're just not ready for that yet so now, we now hold to on get faces
3: but. let's back up off this a second are we saying here you get to have jesus for your whole life physically no, with you just coming to you or i give up form. scripture forever for one minute with jesus or one meeting with jesus i think the point is is
0: which is which is the it, more sufficient, evidence. you know, because that's I think even I think Jesus it. says that even if, you know, somebody came back from the dead, if yeah. they're not mm-hmm. going to believe the, the prophets. Exactly. It's not going to be, I mean, I think yeah. that, I think yeah. that. Mm-hmm. look, we all, there's none of us here that wouldn't love to have Jesus come visit if us. If I could have right, that, right. Uh, yeah. forever? Yeah. 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 Well, no, yeah. but that's not the, I think the yeah. answer is, I which again, one the is the more okay. convincing? Scripture than Yeah, to be clear, yeah, that's how I understood the question. Is it a
2: sin not to tithe? Is it a sin not to tithe? I mean...
1: The Bible never, yeah. so the Bible says be a cheerful giver doesn't say That's you right. have to yeah. give. Mm-hmm.
3: But you ought, But if you're a born-again That's, believer, it's strange that you wouldn't want to use your resources in some way to benefit the kingdom, so mm-hmm. I would expect to find you doing that. Yeah, I think that this is what I found as a pastor.
0: Typically people who do not want to tithe, which would be 10% of their income, usually don't give very much at all. People who do believe in tithing Give ten percent or more of their mm. income in mm. in the church, and, and I and I can tell you that is just good evidence. People who usually don't believe. Um, in Matthew twenty three, Jesus talks about tithing, and he says, "In this you should have done." Mm. So he he actually says tithing is part of a Christian's life. He says it. Um, in Ab- in Hebrews, it talks about. Um, tithing in the in the womb. You know, I mean there, there, there's there's yeah. New Testament references. What I would say is is that God is not looking for you to sit down and right. calculate every little thing and make it a law. But I do think that the Christian admonition we shouldn't be looking for 10%. I think we should be looking that he yeah. said I surrender all. Yeah. You know, and we should be willing to give whatever it is, but I the do think- the breath in your lungs. Sure, the flesh sure, on your path. But I think can it, you please I give me think, the keys to your car. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. 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 Sorry, I'll take if you guys something. need you No, I was just kidding. It. Okay. Um uh, What outside of the Bible leads you to think there is a benevolent God, heaven, and hell? Right, say it again. What outside of the Bible
2: Uh leads you to think there is a benevolent God, heaven, and hell? The moral argument for God's existence. Yeah, I'd think i even say the ontological argument, and a lot of people don't think that's that convincing, but I think that it's actually kind of like the umbrella to which all the other arguments are grounded, and I think that really leads to including the moral argument to actually have the character. I think the moral
3: argument also gets you a sense of justice, and I think if you believe in theism, if you believe there is a God, and and you recognize your what morality we have, you recognize the importance of justice, uh, then I think in, in such a case you would have to realize there are people that don't receive justice, the abused and the abuser, in this life. So there must be a, another life where that justice is played out if there's a just God.
0: Mm-hmm. If it is immoral to kill a fetus with no functioning brain because it is a human, why is it not immoral to kill a brain dead human with no functioning brain, like a fetus?
1: I don't think it is moral to kill a human.
2: No. I don't
1: think it's moral. It's just I don't, I don't understand the question. I don't
2: yeah. I think there's just. It. I, I think they're saying like if uh, you you have somebody, you can pull the plug on somebody, mm-hmm. um, and then you you um, for someone that's brain dead. But you when, when they're saying somebody a baby without a brain or whatever, what's the difference? I think that that's yeah, that's a complex issue. But I'd say that it doesn't. That, that's assuming that the brain is the, um, is the the only thing that kind of makes somebody well, human. Yeah.
1: Well, Hitchens, yeah. for example, who was pro-life, actually said there's a difference between because a, a fetus has a potential life exactly. ahead of them, yeah. perfectly healthy, good life. That's, that's what makes murder wrong
2: and all these other things, too, yeah. Yeah. is if it kills the potential life. So but, that's yeah. another possibility. Yeah. But it's
3: popular right now to bring consciousness in as the thing, when consciousness is possible in your brain or whatever. Yeah. Maybe that's the point where now it's, it's a person or whatever. Yeah. And I think one of you—I don't remember which one—said it. Like, why? That's that seems intuitive. I get yeah. that seems intuitive, yeah. but you don't know if that's the thing we should be paying attention right. to the most. Right, right. You're guessing. Yeah. Right. You
1: know? um, <clears throat> what do you think about theistic macroevolution? I mean, I am a proud theistic evolutionist, so I fully
2: accept it. Macroevolution. Macroevolution. So you think a fish can turn into a human? No. That's not what evolution says. I <laughs> know, oh, no. No, but macroevolution, you don't really hear that term in creationist circles. To, right. yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah. Because you believe in theistic let evolution. Me,
1: let me say, I, I believe that there is one monotheistic Trinitarian God uh, who created uh, everything. He there I believe in a literal Adam and Eve, a literal Garden of Eden. There was a literal fall. Uh, I believe that Christ was born of a virgin. Uh, died physically, rose physically, and is going to return one day, and the, the scriptures are inspired. I'm a theistic evolutionist, but I accept every core doctrine of Christianity. Theistic evolution and Christianity are not incompatible. I have several videos on my channel that show this. So, there, I'm not a, how can I be a heretic if I'm accepting every core doctrine? I,
0: I, I really don't know because I'm not a scientist. I have spent yeah. my entire life studying theology and scripture. Yeah. I, I tend to think that there's a lot of weakness in the argument for evolution but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're wrong. I mm-hmm. just, I just, I genuinely yeah. don't know, and I'm deficient, I will say that, um, on on that, but I, I tend to probably not be an evolutionist, but that is not like a well studied thing, you know, mm-hmm. so just in case somebody's out there, they can go, okay, at least Chip's the last <laughs> <room."> <laughs> <laughs> But uh, um, uh, this is great. Where is Noah's magic zoo boat, <laughs> Kentucky? <laughs> magic zoo boat. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah it is, one. as a matter of fact. <laughs> Kentucky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's
3: where the ark is. I think is they're there, uh, asking where. Have they ever found the ark? out Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, it's in Kentucky. Yeah. Okay.
0: Can so Ham built. Okay. It. Yeah. That's what I can <laughs> <to
3: know>.
1: Wait he <laughs> we p- builds the Tower of Babel next. Um, Did they
3: try to trick us up by saying Moses there? No. Noah's okay. 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 All right. Um, you gotta is, watch these people. Is it? I mean,
1: we don't know. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I. mean, I. I hold to a regional flood in that area that filled up the area. So it probably when they landed somewhere, they probably used the wood for houses. I mean, that's okay, what they're gonna go. do. Okay. Um any hope for people that commit suicide I think yes. so uh, yes I th- Any hope suicide sometimes is, is, a, is a result of just brain chemistry going haywire uh, it's not necessarily someone actively doing this sometimes they're just the the brain chemistry overrides the conscious agent and they just cannot deal with it anymore um, so I think there definitely is hope for them I don't think it, ne- it necessarily means you are condemned no, no.
0: should so. women who have abortions be prosecuted as murderers?
2: I do not That's think so. That's a great question. Um, I think that where are societies at today? I mean, obviously not. I mean, but this is kind of one of those weird questions of what should be, should all wrong things be illegal? Um, that seems wrong, right? Not all wrong things are should be illegal, you know what I mean? Um, and then so it really kind of depends on what we decide to do with the law on that question too. Um, if they're asking if, If we think that it's murder, uh, yeah, I mean, if if you believe that it's human life, then in some way it it is taking an innocent human life that has the potential to keep going. So I think that that is obviously problematic, but um, that's going to be in the hands of the justice system and what they want. We're not political pundits. We're not legal
1: experts. That's not our job. We are are talking about ethics, Christianity, that thing.
2: Yeah, I mean, Paul
0: killed, probably killed Christians. And, I mean, he didn't immediately get struck dead and die. I mean, I think there's... You know, yeah. um, I, th- I think the I think there's two separate questions: is abortion murder, right, and should exactly. people who commit abortion yeah. be, be charged yeah. as murderers? Right. Um, yeah. You know, but uh, yeah. um, that's I that's a great. Who are your favorite pastors?
3: Sam Keller, this guy right here. <laughs> <laughs> Tim Keller, Chip Bennett.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, you're kind. Of, you kind.
2: Of
3: favorite <laughs> it's tr- it's honestly true. Uh, my pastor, um, uh, Brett Nicholson, at One Life Church, and okay. uh, you, Chip. We've had a lot of good. Mm. We've done a lot of good
2: work together, and um yeah I've got uh, friends, i got friends my, my local pastor. pastor too my local pastor is awesome
0: uh could god have chosen not to create those who he knew who would reject jesus uh,
1: sure yeah, god yeah. Have well, I see could god, god have me.
0: chosen not to create those who he knew would reject jesus see
1: i, I don't take the view you know, that yeah, god actually, is directly yeah. creating yeah. Him. he created the universe and in this universe he allows for it to
3: churn out souls they mm-hmm. have a choice to choose god or not yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now I think the question might be, could he? Why didn't he just not create them if he or if he yeah, knew they were going to no, end up going to hell? Like that, yeah. And I think that's a question I thought of before I knew anything about apologetics or worldview or atheism or anything like that. Oh. That that's an interesting question. The problem is once you once you think like if you could be God for a second and you thought I'll remove all the people or I just won't create the people that I know are going to end up um, in hell. Well, you've just changed the set. Now that you've changed the set, there's now going to be new people. It's, it's like, it, 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 so the question is really, um, what does it look like? The idea is you're trying to get a world from God of only free believing people. Right, when you give people free will, does, does there actually, do they actually do that? Can, can,
0: can so. we, could we all agree that as much as the human mind wants everything logically answered in a way that makes sense to us, there are some things that we would ask as human beings about God and our relationship with him that we might just not have all the answers oh, for. Really? And, 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 and that's okay, yeah, it's about. okay. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that we're believing crazy stuff. There's yeah. just some stuff that's, be, I mean, I would think if there really is a God that he, there should be a ton of mystery to him because yeah. if he really is God, Definitely. then you know. Um, let's ask this question here. What do you think about skeptics saying that only seven out of the 13
1: letters of Paul are authentic? So I I answer this by saying you have to read some of these letters. The opening lines say Paul wrote these with other authors at times. So So sometimes the other authors are probably adding in their own flavor to them. And sometimes a scribe in the ancient world would add more than just dictation. Like Cicero's scribe did a lot more than just writing what he said. He added his own flavor to it. So that could very well be a, a lot of what's going on here. Paul could sometimes have just said, I need you to write a letter to Timothy. Here's what I need to say. Let me explain it to you for 30 minutes. You go and do it, and then he does. Yeah, um, I think
2: the evidence needs yeah. to be positive evidence, why not not just negative evidence, right. not just say these things look different. What is the yeah. positive reasons to think this was not Paul? Almost, almost yeah. all of those yeah. things can be answered with yeah. the youth of with the use of an
0: amanuensis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Almost all, of them exactly. exactly. Which is yeah. a scribe. There's um, a question here about uh, the church. Um, does the fact that Jesus speaks of building the church when the disciples ask him about the future restoration of Israel in Acts
3: one? indicate that the church has replaced Israel. Are you talking about like replacement theology type situation? No, that's what I was wondering. I I,
0: yeah. I, I can't
3: for sure say yeah.
0: what they're
3: um, I'll tell you this. If we can't if we're not sure what to say about this, I have a debate on my channel between Chris Day and a guy named Steve Gregg, who's got a huge radio show out in California. Okay. And they talk about this very issue. Okay. And I I think and I encourage. I think that this was the topic. And I encourage people to check that out on our channel. Okay. Yeah. Are you?
0: Where would you all? Is the is the church Israel? Is the church in Israel distinct?
1: I, I tend to say that the church has been grafted into Israel. Grafted Dude, in. that, yeah. That's what the exactly. Okay. So heard.
0: so Israel today. Constitutes both Jews and Gentiles. I believe so. Yeah, that's my thought. Okay. Yeah, Um, yeah, from Romans. Um, Well, it's 733. I think we've probably done. I do want to say this, though, to anybody who's listening, and I think you all would agree. Um, Number one, we thank you for being here. Um, Number two, we hope that we gave you something. Um, Number three, I know some of you probably asked some questions and maybe we didn't answer them exactly the way you would have liked for us to. Apologize for that, doing the best that we can with the limited amount of uh, information that we have. But all of us would tell you this, the reason that we do this and the reason that we do things like this is because we really believe that there was a man named Jesus who was God in the flesh who came to this world and he died on a cross for our sins and rose again on the third day. And that that message and understanding that message can truly change your life and not only change your life, We can settle uh, eternity for you and i just would like to give you an opportunity to reflect upon that and to think about that because that is the question when jesus looked at simon peter he didn't ask him anything other than who do you say that i am and we just want to give you an opportunity to know that jesus does love you he came died on the cross for your sins and uh, you can have eternal life by believing in him and uh, i think we would all at the end of the day that would be the hope that we would have for everybody whether we answered the questions or not we'd want you to know Jesus. So thanks so much for uh, tuning in. Hope this was valuable to you. Um, Please, please, please uh, go look at all of the YouTube channels here um, and uh, um, subscribe, tell your friends about it, send them out to people, and we will do things like this again. Um, God bless everybody and have a wonderful evening.